Okay, so this is a very special time for us that uh, we do need to go through more often. Okay, and it's, uh, it's called Fusatsu Ceremony. And uh, there are different reasons why we do that. And I'm going to go through this briefly. But what's important is that we pay attention. Always pay attention. Pay attention, and while we are paying attention, as always, the mind chatters. Right? The commentator comments. The narrator narrates. Right? I like it. I don't like it. Why are we doing this? This is too much. It's not enough. There's always that. And it's really interesting that what we think is Poison is medicine, but what's sad is that often what's medicine becomes poison because of what it is trying to obliterate. So we have to not listen to the mind so much, or not take it so seriously, and be open to what is being offered by life moment by moment. That's the life of the vow. That's the life of Fusatsu. So the term Fusatsu is taken from the Sanskrit word posada, which means to fast and to purge the body of harmful toxins that have accumulated as a result of consuming unwholesome foods. For us, however, this does not mean to deprive the body of physical food. Like the body, the mind can also be intoxicated by an accumulation of harmful impurities through unobserved thinking and unwholesome words and actions. So in this context of our practice, the word fusatsu has two meanings. First, to nurture the mind with wholesome nourishment. And second, to deprive the mind of unwholesome nourishment. The purpose of the practice is the purpose of the vows, is the purpose of all aspects of what we do in Zen practice. All aspects together. So this is a time for us, for all of us, to recite the precepts together and to reflect on the deep meaning and clarity they bring into our lives and to strengthen our trust in the practice. Now, traditionally, this is a ceremony of renewing the commitment a practitioner has already taken during Jukai. But if we only see this, if we only see things through this linear manner, our understanding of practice will remain shallow. As practitioners, we all have the responsibility to actualize the fundamental point, which means to cultivate wisdom through silent meditation. And then allow that wisdom to guide us in daily life as we encounter challenging times. And the precepts are a way in which wisdom functions in society. And they illustrate a roadmap by which an awakened human being would travel. There's a lot there that very easily can be overlooked. 
Now, it is true that the understanding deepens with time, and so does the ability to apply the wisdom more skillfully. But nonetheless, a practitioner of one day and a practitioner of 40 years carry the same responsibility to do the best they can. That means whether or not you have taken officially Jukai ceremony is immaterial in regards to doing your best to uphold the vows. The vows are inseparable part of our practice. It's not I will just sit until I will decide that I am interested in taking the vows and then I will apply that aspect of practice to my life. That is not how we practice. From day one, we are responsible to the best of our ability to uphold these vows. We should all remember that these are living vows, not commandments, which means we can't ignore the gray areas between the black and the white. There will be times, there are times, we break a vow because our eyes are closed and we will need to own up to that and strengthen our resolve. And there will be times life itself will suggest that breaking a vow is in alignment with the practice of wisdom. It is not easy. It's quite difficult to know how to act at any given moment, with or without the vows, whether or not you took it. But we do our best, we need to do our best to use skillfully discernment from a perspective of unity. We need to take steps from practice, from within the depth of Zazen. So the vows are a link between what we do on the mat, on this cushion, on the mat, I mean Aikido mode, what we do on the cushion, and the way we act in everyday life. These are not binding chains that lead to self-righteousness and rigid behavior. The precepts have their home in generosity, gratitude, and respect. They inspire us to live from truth and not an imitation of what someone tells us we should or should not do. It should be genuine. The precepts help us reflect deeply upon ourselves and examine how we live our lives. So the 16 Bodhisattva precepts begin with taking refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So what we'll do together, what I'll do first, is say a few words about each of those each of the 16 Bodhisattva precepts, and then at the end, we will recite them together. I will clap, we will recite them together, and then I will move on to the next one. At the end of all the precepts, we'll all get up and make three bows together. And you're gonna hit the bell each time we bow. So the first one, I take refuge in the Buddha. The fundamental teaching of Buddhism is rooted in an understanding that everyone is endowed with Buddha nature or true self. And so to take refuge in the Buddha 
means to trust that which is inherent. That which is beyond arising and vanishing. Beyond birth and death. <coughs> Wisdom and right action flow out of a realization that all things are of interdependent origination. So I will say it first and then we will all recite that together. No, no, we'll stand afterwards. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha. The second is I take refuge in the Dharma. The Dharma reflects the inviolable law of all things, which is the self-organizing principle of the universe. It is not subjected to circumstances and conditions, or to our own personal opinions. It is simply the way suchness manifests through diversity. All Buddhist teachings originate out of this unbreakable truth. And so to take refuge in the Dharma means to merge with the higher intelligence of the universe rather than to oppose it. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Dharma. Next, I take refuge in the Sangha. The Sangha is a manifestation of harmony. It is us, a group of people, who get together to uphold the practice and to help and support each other through the highs and lows of life. It is a way to create a small-scale Dharma-based communities. Instead of waiting for the world to start acting in the same way, we, us, take the initiative to create a loving, cooperative, and supportive environment. As Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. A Bodhisattva is the one who takes the first step, the one who takes the initiative, who is not waiting for the world to be sane. And so to take refuge in the Sangha means to inspire, encourage, and nurture each other's practice and to do all we can to maintain the vitality of the Sangha so it does not fall apart. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Sangha. Next are the three pure precepts. First, I vow to not create harm. The first of the pure precepts is not to create harm. This means to take on the responsibility to think, speak, and act in ways that do not cause harm or suffering to ourselves or to others. It means to be aware. It means to appreciate. It means to be careful means to be alive and awake. 
I vow to not create harm. I vow to not create harm. Next, I vow to practice good. The second of the pure precepts is to practice goodness. This means to be in the world as a vehicle for goodness in all circumstances and at all times. To do good just for the sake of doing good, without expecting any rewards or recognitions, without waiting for somebody to notice us, without waiting for something else to happen. It is self-fulfilling. It is as simple as scratching the nose when it itches, not in Zaza. It is as simple as eating food when you are hungry, drinking water when you are thirsty, and taking a nap when you are tired. It is not more and not less than that. This is actualizing the fundamental. I vow to practice good. I vow to practice good. Next is I vow to actualize good for others. The third pure precept is to actualize good for others. This means to transcend the small sphere of our personal lives, bridge the gap between self and other, and dedicate our lives to the well-being of all creation. It is to become a force of goodness and consciously act in ways that benefit others. By letting go of the small self, living a life of service for others becomes as simple as taking a step. I vow to actualize good for others. Next come the ten grave precepts, which outline the way we actualize the three pure precepts in everyday life. As practitioners, we take on the responsibility to intercept the habitual patterns by paying close attention and becoming fully engaged while functioning as human beings in society. First one, I vow to nurture life. I will not kill. First precept is to affirm life, to not kill. To actualize non-harming means nurturing and supporting life in a non-discriminating way. This means to deeply appreciate the net of creation with its infinite life and energy that co-create our precious earth and universe as we chant All the vows are, when you look at the original vows, they state, do not. They tell us what not to do, but this is static. To not do something is a pointer to doing something else. So the life of each vow is in the action, is dynamic, moment by moment, in the midst of being pulled away from that path. That's why it counts. 
I vow to nurture life. I will not kill. I vow to nurture life. I will not kill. Next, I vow to be giving. I will not steal. The second of the grave precepts is to be giving, to not steal, to examine the mind of desire and greed, and to give up one's covetousness. This means to realize inherent completion of all things and to recognize that a sense of lack is illusory. Realize that this is not true. I vow to be giving. I will not steal. Next, I vow to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. The third grave precept is to honor the body and to not misuse sexuality. Recognizing our physical desires and impulses, we commit to working with these energies in ways that do not create harm to ourselves and others. Understanding the sexual nature of our bodies, we vow to be responsible for the way we express it and cultivate respect and dignity in all relationships. To recognize and to work with impulses means to not deny <clears throat> natural impulses. To be guided by wisdom. I vow to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. Fourth grave precept is to manifest truth, to not lie. To understand the Dharma is to realize that everything is completely exposed and all things are of the same nature. So we devote ourselves to deeply examine the desire to lie and we learn to courageously own up to our thoughts, words, and actions while standing firmly on the Dharma ground. Being rooted in practice, we vow to speak from the heart and to listen wholeheartedly. I vow to manifest truth. I will not lie. I vow to manifest truth. I will not lie. Fifth great precept is to cultivate clarity to not cloud the mind. This precept sheds light on our propensity to act in ways that originate in ignorance. Not appreciating the preciousness of life, we poison our minds with intoxicants that drive us to speak and act in harmful ways and hurt others. Through cultivating clarity of mind, we recognize and work through our own pain instead of clouding ourselves and intoxicating the mind. The Buddha mind is originally pure and clear. Do not let it become clouded.
I vow to cultivate clarity. I will not cloud the mind. I vow to cultivate clarity. I will not cloud the mind. The sixth grave precept is to see the inherent perfection and to not speak of others' errors and faults. The faith of mind says, one has many kinds, two have no duality. To realize equality is to recognize that while appearances vary, we are all of the same origin. Our unexamined fears and insecurities drive us to speak of others' errors and faults, which lead to discrimination hatred, violence, and conflict we experience in the world. But before we experience that in the world, we experience that in ourselves. And this is where we have to begin taking responsibility for our own thoughts, words, actions. <coughs> I vow to realize equality I will not speak of others' errors and faults. I vow to realize equality. I will not speak of others' errors and faults. The seventh grave precept is to recognize the illusory nature of separate existence and to realize that self and other are not two. To elevate yourself is to operate under the falsehood of a grasping self that seeks self-preservation through some form of tyranny. By practicing humility and embracing not knowing, we realize that there is no self to elevate and there is no other to belittle. I vow to practice humility. I will not elevate the self and blame others. I vow to practice humility. I will not elevate the self and blame others. Eighth grave precept is to share generously. To not cultivate a possessive mind. To recognize no fixed self is to realize no, that no one can grasp. And there is nothing to be grasped. This realization opens up the door to act generously in a way that is traceless, in a way that is self-fulfilling, not for anything else other than to act generously. When self and other are dropped, generosity is flowing in a boundless way, never lacking. I will share generously. I will not be withholding. I will share generously. I will not be withholding. Ninth grave precept is to cultivate patience and to not be angry. To cultivate patience is an antidote to anger. It means to actualize harmony by cultivating kindness. This is a commitment to being in the world as an expression of loving kindness 
that is seeking and cultivating harmony in the midst of diversity and differences. This is a commitment to observe the arising of anger and to mindfully transform it to compassionate action. Every day we are presented with many opportunities to face our own intense emotions, process them in the light of wisdom, and transmute the impurities into healing words and actions. It's possible, it's doable, but it requires attention. Requires us wanting to do that. I will cultivate patience. I will not be angry. I will cultivate patience. I will not be angry. The last one is I vow devotion to practice. I will not defile the three treasures. Tenth grave precept is to vow devotion to the practice. When we fully devote ourselves to the practice, we develop an experiential and an intimate understanding of why Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha are considered treasures. Here we encounter again the practice of appreciation as we dive deeply into our true nature, the essential teachings, and our supportive community. Through devotion to daily zazen and all other aspects of practice, we become a living embodiment of our wisdom tradition. I vow devotion to the practice. I will not defile the three treasures. I vow devotion to the practice. I will not defile the three treasures. So, we're going to stand up, we're going to make three bows together uh, to the sound of the bell, and then we will seal this ceremony with chanting together the Kalaniya Metta Sutta. Let's <coughs> all face this direction, please. You can stand up and you can also bow with us.
So we're going to try and chant it slowly, right? And, and see if we can harmonize somehow and do it together. Any suggestions of how to do this? Just listen to my voice and you can talk. Okay, so we'll have two voices together. The two of you coordinate and then we'll just follow you. This is what should be done by the one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at peace. Let none deceive another or despise any being in a state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, by not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world.